dance around the table. We dance whenever we're able. We do routines, we call the scenes, we footwork impeccable. We dine well here in Camelot. We eat ham and jam and spamot. Everybody, here comes another exciting episode of the Two Half Squads, the only podcast on the internet dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world, and that is ASL Advanced oh, Squad Leader. Yes, yes, or Squads and Leaders. Squads and Leaders. Yeah, that's right. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff, and I'm Dave, and we have two very, very, very special guests with us tonight. And uh, guys, why don't you introduce yourself, Tom? Why don't you start, I'm Tom? Okay, and Mark, would you? And inter- I'm Mark Woods, uh, frequent victim to uh, Dave Kleinschmidt. Dave, uh, Tom's not going to give his last name because hey, he's not protect the innocent. He's yeah. hiding from the yeah. mafia. That's right, yeah. the Russian mafia and the paparazzi. Right. It's Tom. I'll just give you a hint. He used to be married to Nicole Kidman. Oh, don't I wish. Tom. We can edit that out in case Patricia <laughs> listens to the podcast. Tom. No, she doesn't. But that's a, <clears throat> the don't I wish would need to be edited out. So we've got this is kind of a special episode, episode ninety one, special because this is the only episode we'll ever do called episode ninety one, but also because this is a roundtable discussion about Red Barricades, the last bid. So line up, pull up your chairs next to the fire, get cozy. This is going to be a good one. Get out the scenario card, because we don't didn't bring ours with us. <laughs> I forgot it at home. With the list of all the statistics. We spit on preparation. And I brought everything else. We despise preparation. Certainly we didn't forget the beer. We, can, we have plenty of beer, and that's I, it. And I think it's basically just 100 Germans line up against 100 Russians, try to kill each other, and as long as the... <laughs> As long as the Germans end up with 12 more buildings at the end, they win. Was that the victory condition? <laughs> Pretty much so. 12 more than what they started with? Well, I'll say when you talked me into playing it, you didn't say it would take 40-plus hours, four months, and I forgot how many game sessions to get 16 turns. Oh, so you didn't know going in that it was going to no, be that long? I had you really no didn't? idea how extensive of a game it was. Did I say how long it would take? Um... I just figured it was going to be like maybe four gaming sessions all told. Oh, wow. I'd just, I'd assume more than that. I, I knew we were in for the long haul. Yeah. Well, I was used to thinking of monster games like being SPI's War in the East and Watch on the Rhine and stuff like that. This this is Those are kid stuff compared to this game. So now you know. And would you play again? Let's see. Maybe after I retire, and if I had two weeks with nothing else to do, yeah, I probably would. Okay. You know what, Jeff? One of the mistakes we thought we that in time actually brought this up. I think after the first couple of nights is we probably should have played some of the scenarios yes. in Red Barricades and then done the, the this big uh, campaign style game. Yes. I, I think it would have made a big difference. We would have understood some of the rules and the, the mechanics of play a little better. 
how cellars come into play, the importance of fortification, the minefields, etc. Well, right. I, I would have played. I would have positioned stuff much differently had I understood it. And you know, I know very well we were not playing some of the rules properly at the start. And in some cases, I, I don't really think it balanced it overbalanced it one way or the other. Some of it's kind of humorous, like. I remember Mark had some guys up on a roof of a of a factory, and I kept shooting him and dumping mortar fire on him, and he was complaining because he was losing so many guys. And he retreated them off, and several turns later was going to put them back on, only discovered that hex had no roof. Right, exactly. <laughs> Roofless factory hexes, as described uh-huh. on previous shows of the podcast, that yeah. had rubble depicted on them. Right. So kind that, of rubble, like debris. It was easy to miss. And the biggest thing that I think I had problems with initially was line of sight and figuring out what could be seen and what could not be seen. You mean as as far as uh, because of multi-level buildings and distance from? Right. Yeah. Levels that you're on. Some of those factories were two level and some were one, which I didn't get either when Mm -hmm. we were starting. I guess I was just, you know, thinking, well, all the factories are the same. They're all factories. Which is not true. Some have the dot on them. And some have the white square. And the white square makes a difference. And then you have the single hex buildings with the white square, which are two, two level levels buildings. high. Which yeah, right. We or round circle. Round oh, the round circle. circle. Oh, what big yes. round circle. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they are big. Whereas the yeah, big round squares circle. depict the staircases. Right. And indicate a taller structure. Correct. And so, for example, building R10 does not have a white square in it, and it's a factory, whereas L14 does have the white square. So you do have to pay attention to that for line of sight a bit. But I don't. I would. Say, I would argue that didn't really screw things up too much. If you didn't shoot at the guys there, you would have shot at the guys then over there. Right. In effect, I don't think there was ever a time when the mortars couldn't see anybody. And so they got shots they would never have had. If there's anybody out there who is really serious about playing this big scenario or playing one of the campaigns and they're not too familiar with the map, lay the map out, buy a couple of dozen Monopoly games and hoard all the buildings out of there, (laughs) and then start putting the buildings on the different hexes and stack them up where it's more than one high. And that will give you a better idea... How tall things are. Or you could do the dice stacking like Dave has talked Or Lego. About. Put Legos Or on. Lego blocks would be another way. Yeah. But Actually, I'd like to set it up with Lego blocks. Yeah. You, I don't I, want to play the scenario, but I'll set it up with Lego right. I really think that's the only way you can really grasp, oh, I really can't see here because this building's in the way. Yeah. But, I mean, it kind of brings up a good point uh, that Mark, Mark is saying. It may, it may have been better to play some scenarios first. Nevertheless... You didn't, and you still had fun. I think that's kind of good because for those people out there that might be scared to play the scenario, don't be scared. If you want to play it, go ahead and play it. Nothing says you can't. You still can, and if you mess up some rules, it's still probably many hours of fun. You had a lot of fun. Especially on a game that large. It was fun to play a large game. I'll say that. It was a little. It was overwhelming for me at first. Yeah. And uh, and I was getting terrible rolls the first couple of nights, and it was and, yeah, and also not whole playing. nights. Yeah. yeah. Not just like a, for an hour each night. 
<laughs> he, would have bad luck. he could actually do it for whole nights. Wow. He, he would have the occasional <laughs> good luck in the average die roll, but on some critical die rolls, he just had yeah. rotten luck. And I had some excellent luck on some critical die rolls. But my, my point was, it, it made it very depressing and hard to get into. It, it was yes. fun, but boy, yeah. on, a, on a night-by-night basis, it was tough. Yeah. Which, which you know, it makes me think, there's somebody who's not here that, that should be here. We should mention him. Dave Timmon was the fourth player. Yes. And I think when we set this up, one of the things we did was put Dave and I against each other because we thought that would be more fair because we know how to do an assault. We know how to lay down defensive fire really effectively. And the problem with that was that put the experienced players on one end of the board and allowed Tom and Mark to make some of the mistakes they made because we weren't looking over their shoulders as often as I thought we would have been. And later when it's so big, you're kind of like, well, you know, that's no longer a concern of mine. Either way, I want to get done three turns tonight if we can. So you are got a little pressure to play a little bit quickly. But we never really rushed anything. But I would definitely have the weaker – if you have two weaker players and two stronger players, just to get the rules right, go ahead and pit a weak and a strong together on both ends of the board. I think that would have helped. Well, especially if you start with some of the small scenarios so the players can, the ones that aren't as experienced. I mean, one of the reasons I decided to say, yes, I'll do it, was I figured I would learn the rules better. And uh, that, it worked. I mean, I actually went in and read some of those atrociously worded, uh, densely... (laughs) Densely verbiage, uh, heavy noun and adjective rules where every other word can be an acronym. Yeah. And um, with all the parenthetical phrases and the, the right. braces and the exceptions and, and, and there's the exclusions. Still a couple of yeah, rules. It should all be at the end of the rule, not heard right. pointed. There, there are still a couple of rules, even though I read them a half a dozen times, I'm still not certain I fully understand that rule. But. You know, by the time the game was over, I knew a lot more about play than I did when I started. So that part was accomplished. I was going to say, you became a master of sewer movement. You, yes. You certainly learned the strengths and the and the um, weaknesses of cellar play. Yes, yes. Cellars at first looked like, hey, why don't we have all the Russians in the cellar? Then I then I found out the hard way why you don't put all the Russians in the cellar. You know, Which was, was go ahead and explain sounds that. Sounds like a one. joke. Why aren't all the Russians in the cellar? <laughs> because, oh, because they can't get out the other end. It's not, not very it. funny punchline, but. Right. Um, where's your map board? It's the. Uh, That's half, and this is half? The other half of the map board. Let me see that. I, I want to reference the exact building this occurred in. Yep, I can find it for, for you. For those real souls quick. out there, they actually have the red barricades map. I'm sure they're pulling them out right now, even in their cars. They're pulling over and reaching into the glove box for the right. red barricade map. Okay, so the building that's on uh, W10X9X10. Yeah. Three hex building. Three hex building. You had three Russians squads in each cellar. I had squads in the cellar. Uh, Mark had been trying to take this building for easily a dozen turns or more and, and uh, just had not been successful. And uh, finally, he brought some really heavy artillery to bear on it, especially one of the stews with the 150-millimeter howitzer. So I decided to go to the cellar, and I had three units in the cellar. And lo and behold, a a, a game turn where Mark didn't have his usual 
run of atrocious luck, and he actually broke all three units. They were all huddled in one end of the cellar, and he moved units up adjacent such that they were all in a adjacent to an unbroken German unit. And to get out of a cellar, you either have to have a tunnel, a connecting trench, or a stairway going up. And if that stairway going up opens to a hex that's adjacent to a, a German unit, you can't use it. So the, the hex I was in had none of those. So an entire platoon of, Germ of, of Russians basically died trying to surrender and getting gunned down by the, the nasty Germans, you know, because it was a no-quarter. No-quarter. Yeah. And there was absolutely nothing I could do to remedy that situation. Otherwise, if there had been a tunnel, they could have run through the tunnel, routed through the tunnel. Yeah. Or adjacent trench. Or an adjacent trench. And, and they really, actually dig to the cellars. They right. Like dig doorways right. into the cellars. And, and, and so that's one exit. of the things that if I were to play this again, I would put a trench between that building and the wood building directly south of it so that there'd be a covered way for them to run through. Yeah, which I had all effectively set up on my end of the board around these buildings that we did a whole bunch of anti-tank ditches on that side so I could feed in lots of Russians into it and keep um, keep everybody alive in there, much to Dave's chagrin, because they wouldn't get shot at on their way in, and then if they did break, you could get out. Right. Whereas what I did was I set up a defense that on the one end had a very thin crust, in my opinion, but I had backup lines to fall back on, and I had units in those lines, and I figured I'd just trade space for time. And I was amazed this one building lasted as long as it did. But Yeah, and especially here nor there. Especially I had the trenches. Y30 connects from a gully right to the cellars of the building adjacent. Um, yes. In building X twenty eight, so or you, you have others going back, like Tom was describing, all around the board. I'm and, not. And I'm, my foolishness, I let Dave had all the anti tank ditches. I didn't have a single one on my half of the board, and I kept wishing I had an anti tank dish ditch right on that one road that goes right down the center of the board, cuts across it. You know, if there had been an anti tank ditch right up near the wall then that would prevent it stuff coming down that road. As quickly. As quickly, right. Well, although I think as it turned out, no tanks made it through there because there was so much rubble and debris that, right. that the bog checks were just... I, I think right. I had two tanks bogged there. Yeah, and, and you lost a tank to a lucky shot of mine out of a... Um, I think it was a 76. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm not familiar with the setup of the campaign game. How much... We did a scenario, not the campaign. Oh, the scenario, yeah, right. The biggest scenario. The big scenario. 21 turns. How much um, do you get to make choices on different things that you can pick for your side as far as uh, no. tanks or guns or anything like that? Or no, even... and that's the difference is to some people said, why don't you just play the campaign game because you're going to put the same time into it, but you don't have the chance to buy reinforcements like you would in a campaign yeah. game. They're basically bought for us. So we knew it was coming, but there was a lot of die rolling to get them. So the Russians, you don't know when you're getting, how many you're getting. And we had very bad reinforcement rolls. So Dave got into that last area I was just describing. That Going for that building was the anchor on my left flank yes. I just described. And um, But we 
you start to get them, we got him soon enough. He was, I'd say, a turn too slow to capture that building. Had he taken that and those anti-tank ditches, that would have been really a huge difference because all the reinforcements would have had to come down more through the center. So as opposed to a campaign game, you do get to buy your own uh, reinforcements based off of charts, Mm -hmm. supposedly historical charts. Yeah. So the only thing that we had to decide was we had so many points for minefields and how many of which side minefield we wanted and where to place them. Otherwise, we had a fixed number of uh, fortified buildings that we could do, or fortified hexes and levels. And we had a fixed number of ditches and a fixed, I think we only had three AT ditches from what I remember. I don't have the scenario card in front of me. So, and to be honest, when we first set up, I had no idea of what I was really doing. I had a general idea. As it, as it worked out, I think the setup I had, I, I wouldn't change too much of the placement, but I'd certainly change where I put ditches in that. I, I think from Dave Timmerman's standpoint and my own, the game plan worked out the way we thought it would. It was always intended for Dave Timonen to be more aggressive and, and push Dave Kleinschmidt back. And, and, boy, the first several nights, that's exactly the way that it went. And I was going to hold the line. What didn't turn out the way we wanted it to is the, your off-board artillery time was just creaming me those first yes, few nights. And I kind of lost patience. I probably should have held back, but I, I lost patience and decided I needed to move out start to become more aggressive because I was just losing troops left and right to the OBA. And Dave Kleinschmidt gave me some coaching the third night. Just be patient. Wait till your tanks come in on turn six. Uh, it seems a long way away. It turn does, six. yeah, turn six. Right. <laughs> you know. Could be six weeks to turn six. That's yeah, right. It was almost, almost six weeks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so Mark did a few piecemeal attacks across, right? Early on, I did a few piecemeal attacks, and I just got butchered doing it. it because I'm trying to go up against plus four uh, TM buildings. Yeah, and you're right. moving through... Debris at best. Debris, discovered a few minefields. Yeah. Yes, the hard way. Yeah, that was really fun, placing the minefields, too, and uh, having a tunnel. What do we have? Uh, I don't know. I thought our minefield placement was really good. I tried to get Dave crossing the road. He missed two of my minefields because he was smart enough to, once he found one and it eliminated with an OBA or something, he kept moving through that area, not not going right. the other way, mm-hmm. which, you know, less experienced players would, might do. Yeah. Um, and others were placed just where we kind of felt they had to come through good protection. So they hit a house, which had minefields break, and you can put them in a house, hex, building hex, and they're outside of the building. So when you go in and out of it, you get hit, you know. And then... um, There was only one minefield in my area that that no one got to, and yeah, all the others were, were tripped. Uh, I don't know if they were over, if they were terribly effective in terms of eliminating units, but in terms of putting a scare, yes. And breaking units. Right. And breaking units. Yeah. This now, I will say most of the fighting was between the two Daves. There were turns where Mark and I literally sat there and did very little, which was okay. I mean, we both were kind of holding our, our ends of the thing up. Um there were a couple of times Dave wanted me to counterattack, and I'd take a look at where Mark had his figures, and I thought, why should I do that? Because <laughs> I had seen what happened to Mark when he came across at me, and I could just see that same thing happening to me. And occasionally I was just saying that to scare them. 
Right. Actually, without even telling ah. you that, I so would just we throw that out in the middle of the game. You know, the Russians oh, were was. always good yeah. at disinformation. It was a, yeah. a psych move. Because yeah. it always it was it looked like there was an area. Oh, he's got all broken's. All he has is two eight three eights there, and everyone else is broken behind them, like four or five guys. Go get them. Of course, you can't live through two eight three eight shots, you know, adjacent to you as you come across. And, and Mark was excellent but, at pulling all those guys back where they couldn't be hit, and then restoring them. And yeah, getting them yeah. rallied up. Right. So a lot of that you can back up in the factories and get rallied up pretty safely for the German. Yeah, I have to right. admit the OBA was. Uh, we were really fortunate with our OBA. I think maybe the the first one or two places we landed it, I. I don't know if we could have landed it there, you know, when I think back at the, about the sighting, but definitely by the third or fourth time, you know, we were landing it. And it was, in one way, humorous, though not to Mark, it would scatter. And it would scatter in a way it was like chasing his units. Oh. <laughs> like, okay, Poor Mark. He'd, he'd back <laughs> off by Sounds a like you play like and I It was a rough scatter. night. Yeah. <laughs> A rough and, night. I mean, you'd miss your accuracy roll, and it would right. be off the direction that Mark had went. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so he would have backed off a hex, so all the hexes around the impact point were blank. And then, you know, I'd roll for accuracy, and it'd shift over that one hex, so now it was landing on him again. And, Mark, do you think what was most effective for the German attackers that you and Dave had? Well, definitely ganging up. I mean, trying to form fire groups to get enough firepower, especially when trying to get into those factories with the plus 4TM. Um, demolition charges should have been great, but we just were not getting them to go off. I, I think maybe twice in the night we got demolition charges to work. One of them was mine, and it resulted in, like, no impact, yeah, which, which was amazing. I remember that one going off, yes. And flamethrowers? Flamethrowers just broke left and right or ran out of fuel. Yeah. Constantly. Whereas then when mine came on later, I think I got three shots out of it or four before it finally went. Right. Whereas Dave Timonen would lose his on the first roll. Oh. First roll, next flamethrower comes up, first roll, gone. I'm just like, boy, just keep keep doing that, man, because I don't need those 24 even up shots at me. Yeah. The, the German leaders were very effective. Yes. Dave had a 10-neg-3. Ten, you had a 10-neg-2 in that corner that kept bugging us. Yeah, I did not use my leaders very well. I, I treated them as a little more expendable than I should have, and, and lost them as a result. Oh, by having them up front, or mm -hmm. well, ha having them too far up front, or again, OBA. Right. Yes, OBA would nail a leader. Yeah, and we did go at that ten and two for a while in the corner, and we never got him. He shifted to, toward my side, and the Germans were hitting me with the 30, 36 shots. This is infantry firepower, right? With a neg three leader. So suddenly your plus four protection for fortified building or whatever is not much when you got a thirty plus shot at you, which is the plus one protection or even up. That's deadly. It, interestingly, I think in, in my gameplay, what turned out to be the most effective was deploying half squads, sending them across the line to probe, and, and one night even got lucky and, and took out one of Tom's AT guns with, with a measly little half squad. I know it, it, that was. It was bizarre, and that's just the way game game things go. I shot at him and missed, and then he goes in and melees with the gun crew and wins. So now he has a half squad in possession of one of our guns and can you know, basically have spiked it, from what I remember. Right, and, correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that happened two, at least twice that you were able to get a half squad 
essentially sending it out as a sacrificial lamb, and the damn thing was able to break into our line. Right. And then he'd send a, you know, then he would send a powerful unit, and <laughs> it get creamed. Yeah. It was just odd. Now, how would, um, was there any German OBA or no? There yes, was two. But that did not come in until late in the game. Uh, Correct. Middle, and they were, early middle. And they were smaller modules than, yes. uh, than the Russians had. I think it was 100 millimeter. But Dave, yes. Dave used it to push me back on the far left flank across the road, hit me and hit me and got rid of some of the minefields. And, yeah, that is what helped push me back mm-hmm. for right. sure. And I think on my end, I, uh, I established radio contact initially and did not get a – did not drop it in a – I think I needed to, to make a correction, so it had no impact. And then after that, I couldn't make radio contact again. So I never actually got to, to fire any OBA. Nasty. Tom, on the other hand, never missed. He just he had radio contact and battery access turn well, after turn after that's turn. That's because we didn't take a radio. We took a handset. That's right. You had the, oh. the, hand, the phone. So we were, we were locked in one position. Yeah. But fortunately, we had picked a good position. We had our observer up on the top of Hex. Well, I was going to um, jump in while you look and state that uh, my road defense was over here, Hex T42, and there's a little side gully thing I was using to counterattack on Dave which to hold down some of his units at the end to threaten threaten that side, which you know I would recommend. And then guys started moving through sewers. Well, we won't jump to sewer movement yet. Um, we'll stay on OBA. But, yeah, I thought Dave's OB over there was effective, but what was really effective were some of those tanks. The, the big 150s were very effective. Yeah. I, he, he, again, he would take out whole stacks of guys. Yeah, we had our uh, OBA observer in Hex BB-18 up on the topmost level he could get to, and that gave him a really good field of fire. Uh, Looking out over single-story buildings, hedges, roads, yeah. rubble, and debris right. for quite a while. And and the nice thing was he was up high enough that if the if the fire landing shifted to where it was not visible, it was still the blast is going up two levels, and he could see the two level, so he could still Smoke. see where the blast was. Mm. Blast okay. height, right? Yeah. The blast height. You could yeah. see where it was landing. I don't think we quite realized it when we put the guy there, but that's probably one of the best positions for him on the Russian side. And looking at it. And uh, the only thing that I wished I had had in that building that I didn't was there were times I wished I had a 45LL up on the third, on the top floor of BB19 fortified. Because I, yeah, I could have shot right down that road at vehicles down there. Oh, right. Yeah. And he would have been hard to hit because he would have been a plus four. Because you can fortify a level. And then he can go on top of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they do allow the Russian to start small guns deployed like that at a high level. You can't move them out of there. Yeah. Wouldn't think so. Something I, I do like that you did pull off, though, Tom, is you smoked a couple of those key road hexes in the center in between us. Yes, I and did. And kept smoke going the whole game, which made it really difficult for me to do anything. Because with the buildings as close as they were, I couldn't stand back of them and get a line of sight. With the tanks? Through those, with my tanks or... Um, or even with the other vehicles, they had the, the anti-aircraft machine guns on them. Yeah. Yeah, it, um, I was using, what was it, an 81-millimeter mortar? I forget the size of it. The Russian had two mortars. Yeah. And so I was using it sometimes for smoke and sometimes for the um, 
area fire. But yeah, it made a good smoke. That the one thing that the one question and when I saw Dave Timonham at Little Wars the other day, I asked him the same question. Not once during the game do I remember any of the Germans using their inherent smoke capability of their infantry units. And some of their infantry units had great smoke capability. There were fives, those those engineers. Oh, the engineers, yeah. Yeah, they were awesome. But I never remember them being used. Mm. And there are cases where that smoke would have made a good, good cover when dashing across the road or yep. lining up the assault. I, I totally agree. So it wasn't just bad rolls for me. There was some bad play in there, and I probably should have been using smoke a lot more. Well, but some of that, were, you were coming across... You were coming Mark, across some areas there's, where there's I don't not know. a lot of just the one hex road crossings. Right. It's not until you get if, into the dense situation in the middle. Yes. Yeah, where he was where he was having trouble was coming across on the right hand side. Yeah, Jeff, if you can see, a lot of open ground yeah, there. see this yeah. board yeah. here, V eight. Right. There's debris and stuff, but right. you can't really get a shell nice smoke placement. Shell, yeah. yeah, shell holes. Yeah. That that going around V eight is very very difficult. Yeah, the smoke wouldn't have done you any good there. Yeah, maybe right. at V two, V three, but and then not until you get not even at U ten, V ten, but once you get into the rubble again over here, OBA maybe, smoke, OBA know, smoke would cover would large been, areas. Yeah, which I don't think the, the Russians had an option to do. No, I don't remember if the Germans did we either. We had no on smoke capability except out of the yeah, mm. yeah. But well, also, when the seventy sixes hit, some smoke. of the German tanks, I'm sure, could throw smoke. Yes, and that, but a lot, but a lot of the tanks ended up bogging a bit. I had um, I had a 150 bog and become immobilized, and one of my one, I think it's my hundred that you actually burned, right? Uh, that you wrecked it, and and the other t- the other two, the 150 and the 100, I took around to the north end to try to attack that building where Tom lost all the troops in the cellar. X nine, right? And and there I was just working on trying to get direct hits. Uh, and it was hard because of the plus four. With the plus four, it was hard. But, boy, once I finally got you know the minus two on the acquisition yes. and it, got a hit, then right. it was all then over. Then it was pretty devastating. Right. right. Those things, when they hit, they are deadly. So once they acquired, they, it was just a matter of time. And now the Germans didn't have a lot of um, low ammo problems. Right. At least Dave no, did with think me. I he, okay. he eventually ran low on ammo on, on one of the uh, uh, stews, the 150s. Well, that was that was towards that was around the last night of play right right, right. so yeah that really didn't play much effect uh, your other 150 I had immobilized itself near that stone wall up by um, I don't remember what factory number it is um, this factory u uh, 17 right so t 17 I think he got bogged down somewhere in there. Yeah, he, he got to the wall and was shooting hull down at the wall. And I had a 76 in a fortified building right here. X-21. X-21. And I fired at him and did a superstructure hit and rolled low enough to penetrate and knock it out. Which was a rare hit. I know in that turn when ta- when um, Mark did come up around X-9, was it, over here? Right. And then Tom just had a bunch of rates with his guns, and every result was a four or less, and he knocked out several vehicles at once. That added to the demoralization, but I think Dave was feeling the demoralization more on the left side, mm. um, the, the Russian left flank. Right. It was a 45L, and it was in hex. It was in a trench. 
I think it was XY18. And you came through X17. And, you know, the cost of moving in there was like six movement points. So he, he ran in with a PZ3, and I fired at it. Had an excellent chance of hitting it, which I did, but then my chance of penetrating wasn't all that good. But I had rolled a low number on the red die on the hit, so I had rate of fire. Then I rolled a low number on the penetration. Then he ran a stug into the hex. I fired at it, got a low number on the um, red die. I rolled for special ammo and got the special ammo, which increased my odds by one of penetrating, and then I rolled low enough to penetrate. And then I fired that gun at something else. I forget what it was. So, uh, oh, I think it was the one that hit your stew and uh, shocked it because it didn't penetrate. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I hit three vehicles all on rate of fire, and just I had a run of good die rolls giving those low rolls. Now, I could have still rolled low I still could have rolled low on the red die and rolled a six on the white die and not not gotten a penetration. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, I will I will hand it. That was luck. Yeah. The German eight three eight seemed very powerful. They I never had a problem with them on my side. <laughs> they seemed powerful. It, it and you would think they'd be effective in, in our gameplay. They were not effective at all because they still have the same morale eight as a four four as a four six eight and. You know, it's close to a four six seven morale, and mm-hmm. they break. There goes eight firepower right. temporarily gone for a turn or two. Yeah, I, I kept. But that short that, range of three was that a problem? Not for Dave Timonen. Yeah, not in the close no. quarters where yeah. I know. Yeah, no. although on, again on the side. Yeah, on the side, Marks, Marks was, was on. More, You've got a more more. Uh, so you'd want to use your salt guys in the center and German right flank, I think. Oh. Yeah, I think it was relying a lot more on, on four six sevens and on the, the longer range machine guns to, yes. to try to do any damage. Yeah, so tactically you want to do that as the German. Right. You know, we did have a little bit of fun with the. Uh, well, you probably didn't think it was fun, but the vehicle bypass sleaze move. Oh yes, if yes. we pulled off the one night That's that I right. think held up a, an AT gun for a while because yes, they had their it crew did. locked yeah, up. Yeah, it did. It, it kept the crew and it kept a squad in that building locked to firing at that. Um, it was an empty half, half track, track. Yeah, it should have been gone. But and um, I went and read those rules over and over and over again, trying to understand it and, and looking for a loophole. <laughs> exactly. Oh no, would I look for a loophole? <laughs> Never. Anyway, the only thing I discovered about the whole situation was um, if you left it in motion, you had to move into an adjacent hex the following turn because you had to spend a movement point. So either spent a movement point to stop or move and then come back and do your overrun again. Except I was in a fortified building, and a vehicle can't overrun a person in a fortified building. So basically you're just dangling bait to draw their fire is what amounts to. Yeah, bypassing but, the building. Yeah, but that's one of those cases I could not hit that. No, reaction fire, anything. and you hit an ATR from the side or something from the side outside of the hex might right. have hit it. and. Yeah, I, I fired at it plenty of times. I finally nailed it with a forty five LL firing from several hexes away. You know, I couldn't hit it with the seventy six. I couldn't do anything to it with the infantry that was in there because it was in the cellar. Okay, and and you don't fire as well out of the cellar. 
Um, that was the most fun I had in 40 hours of playtime. <laughs> yes, I know. I think my most fun was when you had that guy die in that one building and there was this uh, flamethrower left behind. Yeah, um, and unknown to, to Mark, I had a tunnel that went to that building. So I sent a With squad With the unpossessed flamethrower. Yeah, oh. I sent a squad over, popped up, grabbed the grabbed flamethrower, flame popped down, and went back. And Mark's looking there, how did you do that? It's a tunnel. Tunnels yeah, are better tunnel. than the sewers because yes. tunnels, you can emerge in the same turn on the other end. Ah. So they're much better. Yeah. Uh, coming up on our next Japanese show, Jeff, I'll be talking a little about the tunnels you get, the Japanese get with their pillboxes, a lot of them. Oh, good. Automatically they get yeah. one. But um, the sewers, you have to roll, to, you have to spend a move to going down, roll to not get lost, and then uh, roll to emerge. So right. it would take two turns to move and come up, and you well, may not come up. Actually, the way the right? tunnel worked is you, you, first off, you had to be in a cellar. If the building had a cellar, it opened into the cellar. So you had to be in the cellar. So you move adjacent, you move into the hex, the tunnel opens in, and then you put a sewer counter on it, and you move to the other end, and you emerge into the cellar hex of the other building. Um... Mm-hmm. On the, uh, what do you call it, um, uh, the advanced phase. Yeah. Okay. And then the Same next turn, turn you yeah. can go up a level and grab the flamethrower. Out and of go the down, cellar. Yeah. Right. And then the next turn you go back. Um, and, you know, when I used that flamethrower, I rolled high and lost it. Yeah. It didn't do uh-huh. me any good. But it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. Those little things Very just promising. made the game. Yeah. You know, nothing else was happening, so... Right. I'd send guys down in a sewer just to watch Mark scurry while I moved them back around and you know, force him to finally occupy a building that I hadn't fought over and stuff like well, that. And that's actually something you and Dave both did effectively against Dave and myself, where you'd have these guys running in sewers and we didn't know really what was there, but we had to chase after you just in case you were gonna possess a building that we still needed to control to win. Yes, that's exactly right. And I had it counted down to the the last movement point, exactly how far those guys could get and what buildings they could get into. Mm-hmm. And the so, trick is the Russian moves last. Right. Right? Yes. So that I, I'm wondering how that might be a huge advantage to the Russian. Well, it forces the German to pull squads out of the front and garrison a couple of the buildings in the back just to keep the Russian from popping into the building, and there's nobody there, and they, they get it. Right, and even if you pop out, what if you get the lucky close combat roll and you own the building right. last turn? Right. That's right. That so. could happen. So it, um, I never devoted more than two or three squads to running around in the, in the, in the um, sewers. Dirty, filthy business, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think you? Dave did the same thing, and, and that was enough. Yes, it was. I had two going at the end game. Yeah, back there in sewers. Did you look up the... the uh... The history on, uh, not the history, but the, um, you know, on Roar to see what the yeah, win loss the was for the advantages to the German. The, oh, it is? Yeah. Okay. And fairly significantly. Right. Really? By a third or right. by, and I, and I, I think, um, yeah, if you don't lose all your flamethrowers, <laughs> if you roll fours or eights even with them instead of tens and elevens, yeah. um, Dave Timonen got a little hesitant with his vehicles on the left flank. The one Russian flamethrowing tank can kill a lot of the Germans even up or better than even up odds to the front. And I managed to make it work. Um, 
So that tank is really, really valuable to the Russian. If the Russian breaks that gun, open flank for the German to come on up with their vehicles. I mean, it's hard for the Russians to stop vehicles. Watch for street fighting strategically for the Russian and street fighting advantage. Um, uh, skulk because you're defending. There's no hurry for you. Although I, it's so tempting to have you know two six two eights adjacent to some Germans, and go that's a twenty four shot. You know I gotta take a twenty four. Well, you really don't because if you miff it, he's got an eight three eight and a four four seven and a half squad. Yeah, sixteen thirty two shot back at you, and he might have the neg better neg leaders. You know, um, so yes, so you remember do the skulking thing. Don't feel. Don't be in a hurry in this game for either side. It's way too big to be in a hurry. But don't hold back too long. Yeah. Because I think if Dave was a turn ahead... you got to play just right. you got to play it just right. Yeah. yeah, the more I look at the map, the more I realize that all the heavy fighting is going to occur on the... What is this? The west end of the map. Yes. The, he's taken the two initial factories, the big ones. Right probably always happens. I would love to see someone fighting it out in that very large factory to the, the left, Russian left flank right. or west, better than I did. But that went for, well, I'm forgetting now. I keep remembering the end game where we're fighting for these buildings across the street, which yeah. still was very formidable. It took, we had it took several turns for us to take that factory, and it was a great loss. Several right. turns, yes. and, it, and it was a huge battle, and I forget. It's where all these losses come from at the end of the game. Where did all these squads go? Oh, remember last month you fought, you fought like a six-turn battle for the factory, mm. and you had that heavy machine gun. And yeah, if I had a heavy, a medium stack with an egg two, and squads, and six two eights, and six two eights, and six two eights, they're all gone. You know, they were gone because I, could, I couldn't get them rounded out, or they'd get vapored, vaporized with a hundred and fifty, or you know, he'd roll a thirty-shot ten egg two liter on me, get a four. That's that's devastating. The factory, you don't have the, as many pluses. Protection inside the factory. Right, just at the outer edge. Hard crust, soft interior. Yeah, yeah. So, but, I, you know, I would have loved to reinforce that more and see if I could have dragged that out for 10 turns or more. And then there was a moment at the end there when Dave was getting demoralized. He was further up to the building I was mentioning earlier where the, where the anti-tank ditches were, and there's a lot of rubble just to the left of that going right back to that factory. I was thinking of counterattacking. I mean, seriously, not just to scare them, because of the depletion of the units by the end. It, it might have worked, right? It, it was more, our, we had the advantage in units. Right. Yeah. And so had yeah. I gotten some lucky rolls and busted them, I could have rolled right back in there, yeah, actually, one, at the end, I think. One thing I would, another piece of advice I'd have for anybody wanting to play this scenario in the future is go to Board Game Geek and uh, look up red barricades and you can you can look in their pictures and there are several pictures of the entire map so you can actually print a picture out on eight and a half by eleven that shows you the entire map you can't make out the fine details but you can see the relationship of everything and i drew the start line on it so i could keep track of which buildings we had at the start and when I look at it now, I think this would be great for the Germans to sit and discuss, here's our main thrust points. You know, so it, it makes it a lot easier. 
Now, Dave was mentioning um, the numbers. Uh, I remember the last night we played, when I arrived, I was looking at what Mark had left on the board from what I could see. She could pretty much count on one hand. Yeah, and I, I think I even remarked about, boy, it's really, really thin here. You know, well, I tweeted out this. Oh, I tweeted out the statistics on this end game stuff. I can look it up. Oh, right. or I can add it on at home as a. Yeah. Before well, I when we this, when but. we when we were thinking whether or not we were going to continue it, we counted up how many squads were left on each side. I don't have the exact numbers, but... I, I think um, it was roughly 55 to 30. Well, Jeff's going to find it in our tweets. Okay, so he's going to put it up. But I, I did some other number crunching. So I looked at what did the Russians have at the start of the game and what did the Germans have at the start of the game. Yeah, so you keep talking, Tom, on that. Right. So at the scenario start, if you count two crew sections as the equivalent of a squad... Then the Russians have 84 squad equivalents, and the Germans have 77. So you have 1.09 Russian squads for every German squad. Yeah, Jeff has the tweet. He'll read that off now. Okay. So that's this one, 41 yeah. hours. 41 hours in. 15 turns done. Russians, 52 squads left. German, 37 squads left. Okay. Yeah. And the Germans need four buildings. And they lost half their tanks. About yeah, lost about half the tanks about, too. Yeah. yeah. And so, time you'd come up with some interesting calculations of the of the kill rate per turn that that we needed to achieve. Right. So the way I looked at it was, um, I I was guessing that there were fifty Russian squads and uh, thirty German squads. So I undercounted the Germans by seven, which makes a difference in the statistics. But when I used the thirty versus fifty. And I looked at, okay, let's say with all the reinforcements that each side got, assuming nobody lost a squad, the total number of Russian squad equivalents was 115 versus 85 for the Germans. So 1.35 Russian squads for each German squad. So the, the even though the Germans are slightly outnumbered at the start of the scenario, that's their best ratio. It gets worse as the game goes on unless you kill enough Russians. So I looked at it and I said, well, assuming there were 50 Russians left and 30 Germans left, the Germans lost 65% of their strength and the Russians lost about 56%. And then the, um, the lost ratio I saw was that uh, the Germans killed... 1.18 Russian squads for every squad the Germans lost. Now, I think that would be a little bit higher with these other numbers, but not significantly higher. So I then looked, okay, what would it take for them to win the game if they're outnumbered by this larger faction or fraction at the end? And they needed a, uh, a kill ratio of, um, I have it in here somewhere, uh, hmm, I don't see it right now. Well, they would need a better than 1.2 to 1 kill ratio. Because you know, I had nearly as many squads left on my part of the board as the Germans did overall, which just amazed me when I, I heard that. It, it was interesting because analyzing the game the last couple of nights we played, it looked very much like the Germans were probably going to win this. 
I think the night before the last, it started to shift to, well, it's kind of close. That last night of play, Dave, Dave uh, Timonen especially, just got devastated on his flank, and it became pretty clear yeah, it was he, going to be tough he to lost him. Several, he lost quite a few squads. And I was starting to lose squads because you, would be, you had moved up and were starting to take ground. And, uh, but I think I didn't have losses anywhere close to what you all right. suffered. And, and if I remember right, Dave and I still needed to get four more buildings. It looked like I could probably get two of them. Getting two more beyond that was going to be a really right. very unlikely. Right. I think that was the biggest thing. I I could not see how the Germans could pull it off given what what the ratio had become. And I had some other considerations. I, I sent this email to people when. We were talking about whether to con- continue. I pointed out the Russians are operating with fewer total squads over a wider front than the Russians, so you had exterior lines versus interior lines. Plus, the Germans are having to leave some squads scattered to garrison buildings to avoid having the Russians sneak into them. The upshot is it is very difficult for the German to concentrate forces to take over buildings, and it would take time. There are only six German terms left in the game. The Germans must take one building, must take back one building, because we kept having a building go back and forth, take three new buildings, and not lose any buildings to meet the victory conditions. All this with a worse squad-to-squad ratio than they started with. You know, the Germans would need to really up their overall kill ratio to achieve this. Now, I think they probably still had the firepower advantage, especially with some of the vehicles, but... It looked like you'd have to have everything go your way, which right, had right. not happened in the game. Yeah. Gee, Tom, I'm not sure how I feel about you sharing these intimate details about our relationship with other people. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll just edit all that out. Okay. How did the snipers do during the... How many snipers were there out? Four? Well, we had two on each side. Yeah, okay. four. And they went off fairly regularly. Um, of course... Compared to the three-way game that we that we played a couple yeah. weeks ago at the KSL Open, where they're just going off constantly, yeah. it, it didn't seem quite as often as that. But it, it, every other turn, it seemed like at least, at least we're having sniper action. I, on yeah, one side and you or rolled the other. for fifty percent your side, our side. I think you weren't even aware if the if our if we saw one and it came up east side of the board, then Dave and I, or west side, then Dave and I just did it right. quickly. And, and to tell you and the didn't truth, even tell I, you. I keep, and you guys I weren't looking. Yeah, it. you weren't we looking weren't for looking. the number. So it probably would have gone off more frequently. Yeah. But having the If I remember right though, I think the Germans had a fairly low sniper number. Not as high as you I would have thought. Right. Yeah. The Germans I mean the Russians had a slightly higher number. Yes. Not by much. No. Yeah, I don't remember the snipers. Maybe they'd kill somebody once in a while, but it was more often breaking units or Causing someone. a broken unit to get reduced because it broke again. But I just don't remember him having a major impact on the game. Yeah, I Now, think if we had ever killed that 10-3 commander... That was, I was really, really hoping for many times when the sniper went off and he didn't go that direction. Of course, they had a, we had a 10-2 they never hit. I kept hoping they'd hit that 6.1 I had. A 6-up-1? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I, uh, he deserved to die. I used you him just to run move, him out. I used him to move people forward more rapidly. Yeah, yeah. right. What about uh, ELR? Any big effects from from ELR? And what was the? It happened a lot it it, on it both sides. It happened, happened quite a bit. Right. So was were they both 
Because when was this during the war? 42, late 42, November. But the trick was the high firepower columns. Yes. So you'd hit those three checks. How often do you have a three morale check, right? Yeah, it's pretty rare. We had them a lot. Three checks. In fact, I think one night you even had a four against me, if I remember right. Yes, I did. Four morale checks. So lucky shot. Yeah, all that massive firepower really did affect the ELRs a lot. We were just cashing them out. Right. Right. So, I mean, at the end of the game, one of the things I was looking at was I had these conscript squads, which were like totally garbage as far as I was concerned. I didn't want to get any of them in combat, but... In, in, was, except they're equal in hand-to-hand. Yeah, they were equal in The morale doesn't right. matter in hand-to-hand. But, right. Um, well, I kept feeling like half my force was these conscript squads. And then at the end, when I looked at the scenario and the reinforcements, the Russians only had nine conscript squads out of 115 squads. And then I started thinking, I had units get reduced because they exceeded their ELR right. and become conscripts. Mm, right. Okay, so the ELR did play a role, and they had, I had squads get reduced. Now, thinking about the impact on Mark, I would pick on broken squads. I would deliberately shoot at them. And my whole purpose was you have to attrit the Germans. That's, that's what the Russians have to do in this game. So if he had a big, juicy stack, I would dump everything I could on the stack. If he had broken units, I would shoot up the broken units. And that's where the ELR hurt him. Very much. Yep. I, I, especially those first few nights, I felt like I was just don't, going down in class and, and getting whittled down to, uh, to, to second-line units very quickly. Well, all you have to do is look up what, what column is used for a 150 round hitting a hex. Yeah. And you figure the OBA is, is hitting seven hexes, and you can hit quite a few squads if it lands in the right place. I'm reliving the nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a nightmare, especially when it chased your guys. Yeah, one of the strategies we I had read in one of the articles was, you know, to hit because it's attrition, keep hitting the broken guys because they'll just keep coming back and attacking the buildings. You know, if you've got a chance to hit broken, hit them. In a shorter scenario, not as important. Three turns left till the end of the game. You break them, they route away. Eh, those guys are probably out of it. They're gone. But in this game, if they didn't route far enough, you could still see them from some other angle. Hit them again and get them half squatted. Yeah, that was another thing that where all those Germans went in the end. But it was amazing to look at the end. Where did everybody go? And I, I thought it would be very cool to have actually marked on the board where each like half squad and squad was lost with some kind of quick symbol. Maybe on this little map Tom has, or on a secondary map of the last bit with little stick it, little sticker dots. You, you would have to keep that during the game. During the game. Every time you get a half squad, you'd stick a little colored dot up and actually see the pattern, because I'm going to bet there were a lot in the initial factory. And then, because where did they all go? You know, again, 41 hours, 15 turns. You kind of lost sight of, you know, I remember the guys I lost to 150 shot or a 30 neg 2 liter because that was more traumatic for me. It stuck in my memory. But I don't quite remember as much as me taking out Timonens. I remember half squad here, a squad there, another half squad, a squad. And I guess that just added up. It does. Whereas with me, it was more whole stacks 
in the firepower, but when he's coming across the road or you know through the factory, he's going to take more of those smaller casualties rather than a big stack. He wasn't moving as a stack. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember about the fourth or fifth time we played that uh, Mark had this big glob of units off in one corner of the board. And I kept wondering, are these their reinforcements that are coming on? Because I really hadn't read, I would forget the scenario uh, business, so I'd have to reread it every so often. And it dawned on me, those were all the dead guys. <laughs> yeah, piled up. Bring oh, out your dead. It yeah. was. I mean, oh. that was when it really occurred to me just how many were dying in that game. There was a lot of blood. It took me a while to clean up the basement. <laughs> yeah, I can believe it. Did you pack up yet? I, I'm working at it still. Oh, yeah. did you start? For, yeah, I've started. Oh. Yeah, I put about an hour into it the other night. Oh, okay, because if you didn't, maybe I'd come over and you and I would play out a few more turns just to see. <laughs> oh, my God. Now that we're talking about it. No, once we declared it official, I started packing up. Yeah, well, I can come over and, and giggly, giggly while doing it. Yeah, I'm glad. Well, I'm so glad. I, I don't I have to Mark suffer. Mark had become demoralized several times because nothing was going his way some nights. That's tough. That's really tough. And then Dave Timonen. He would be gung-ho, and then all of a sudden, in the pits. Yeah. And that well, last turn, and again, that last game night. But, yes, but that's Mark. like we had the reversal, and I started yeah. doing good that last night. You were. Night. You were really <laughs> I was ready to up. keep going. Right, I know. But when you were cleaning up on that, you could see on that side the devastation. Dave yes, Caddy. very much. It was, it was very clear when I started to pack up to realize just how severe the losses were on Dave T's side. Yeah, at the end there. just Yeah, they just all started to go there. I know I've got vapored some with a flamethrower too, and you know I don't know what else. Who was the first one to suggest uh, calling it? Calling it Dave, the game? Dave T. It, it, yeah. Really, that last night he took such a pounding. Uh-huh. He just he, he told me I don't think there's a way we can do this. I don't think yeah. we can pull it out. And it took us. A, Although we didn't call it till Tom's email came out. Right. Really? Oh, with the statistics. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, after Dave said maybe quit, we said, well, let's add it up and look at what we had here. And then we all kind of went. Oh, the Russians have that many more squads than the Germans, right. and they're defending. Oh, I could skulk several more turns and try and pull this off. Yeah, you know. Although skulking was harder in that last row of buildings across the wall, across the road. You know, after all the factories were taken, it was a little harder to do some skulking back in there. Um, but again, tunnels, trenches. All you got to get is a good rally point, and rally them up and send them back in. And I, th- it just. Yeah, it started to look really – I was really encouraged at that point when we stopped and counted. Yeah, tunnels, like, wow. trenches, and fortified buildings, which just plain take a while. And guys and, moving through sewers backward right behind the, your lines. The guys moving through sewers. I think, as you pointed out, David lost his last 150. I still had one, but had a ways to bring it around uh, to be able to get those last three buildings. It just was not going to happen. Right. And I had hit it and shocked it, which meant it was out for a turn minimum. Right. And I had just moved a 76 from a building where it was useless, wheeled it down and wheeled it into a building where it had it directly bared on this guy. Mm-hmm. So um, sooner or later, I think I would have nailed it. It might have taken several turns, unless it had nailed the gun first, but hard to say. 
I think my favorite weapon in this scenario is that Molotov projector you were using early on time and all the fun you had trying to set fire to buildings. Yeah, I, I didn't realize how hard it was to burn a building at start. I kept thinking, well, good, I'll just flame all these buildings and fall back and he can't do anything about it. I but, remember having those thoughts about certain scenarios. I'll right. just light them all. But and then I uh, started going through the modifiers and it was yeah. wet conditions. And ah. by the er time everything was done, I needed boxcars. Hmm. And so I was had elevens, I elevens or twelves, twelves for it to spread as a blaze. Yeah, yeah. it was not it, like someone had said online, "Oh, burn everything, baby, burn." And well, so, maybe in a campaign or maybe in yeah. a dry condition. And I came back wet. with with my Molotov projectors and and started to try and f- flame up this row of wooden buildings alongside the ravine on the my side. And could not get anything lit. And then you realize, well, how long am I going to sit here trying this? Right. Because there's other things to do in this game. And... Yeah, I had one, and I fired at this wood building. I fired at it for about three or four turns. I finally got a blaze, a flame. And then it became a blaze. And then the next ten turns of the game, I never got that thing to spread. No, it never spread at all. You just get no, a, a fire going, burned. and that was it. That's right. It never spread. And um, so I, those those projectors, I never used one against a vehicle. In fact, you, I think you captured one when you killed all those squads. I, I don't recall. If you start a fire around W39 here, right, or CC38, this is a whole row of wooden rubble and buildings all the way down here you you know for the russian all the way down to jj37 look at that you have a row of flame that no that the german couldn't come across your left flank you know except using the gully but that would still restrict things so i thought oh i'll light all that up and then pull out of the, the side i'd already lost over here on mashamaya street uh, and yeah, I never could get anything going, so I think I jumped into sewers and started, or the, lost the Molotov projector, jumped into sewers and started moving forward against him, being much more effective, in my mind, moving around through the sewers. You can take the sewers in this gully, V38, and come up S, or S38, P38, you're right in the gully all the way up. M30, and then the German following you has a lot of difficult terrain to get through, and you can pop up. I think L10 I came up, and then just went right back down again because he was threatening to knock me out. And thought, well, I can just wait till the last game right. turn to pop up. On the other hand, we I never survive. had one backfire on us and set fire to the crew no, using it. No, and I, when I had the two shots at Dave's tank, I missed both. Yeah. You know. Which Could was, that happen? I, I didn't remember that. Could that happen with a Molotov projector? Yes, it, it could backfire. It could happen with a Molotov projector. It, it could happen. The odds on it were pretty low, but then when I started thinking about needing a an eleven or twelve to start a fire, that was a, almost equal to the odds of it backfiring. How does that happen with the Molotov projectors? I thought that was a capsule that that just got pushed forward. It's basically oh. um, it's like rolling to to break your weapon. Right, but a, a bazooka has a back blast. I'm trying to understand how that works. Remember with the, the Molotov? Projector. A listener sent us a photo. Did we link yeah. that on a previous show? We did. Yeah, I'm looking for it right now. Yeah, My, the way I envisioned it was that, like you would you would fire with something, let's say a machine gun, and roll box cars and it break, 
if you did that with one of these projectors, then there was a possibility it could set fire to the hex you were in. So it exploded right there without right. actually projecting that's, forward. Okay. That's exactly right. Yeah. That, that's what they were mimicking. And uh, fortunately, that never happened because I didn't use it after the fire got started. I, I, you know, plus you had to come within four hexes, mm-hmm. and uh, you you were careful to stay out of four hexes. And I just had a sip of Emmett's McCarthy Red Ale. This is a local Palatine brewer, Palatine, Illinois, on Brockway Street, and uh, this is darn good, really good. It must be. And I don't usually sit by. Say that, do I? No, you don't. Red ale, it's a little caramely, rather sweet. I'll try one of those. Oh, will you? Yeah. You'll take the one you're drinking. Yeah, I'll, I'll rub <laughs> yeah. the I'll rub the neck off and take a take a swallow, spit into it, and give it back. My son likes to take my soda pop and try and drink out of my straw, and he holds his hand above the tip of the straw, making a hand straw to connect to his mouth, and somehow. He makes this work just enough that he's satisfied. Without making a mess? I, I, yeah. I don't know how. or yeah, you know, exactly. Maybe he's just really using a finger or something. It probably doesn't work with all your facial hair, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> no. hmm. I thought about saying, what a foul concoction, Dave. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, this is actually pretty good stuff. It is, Emmett. It's made right here. Did you like that or did In you? Palatine. Yes. Well, Jeff's I drank pretty it exhausted. All. I drank it all, but I, I don't, don't remember. <laughs> Late night, Jeff? Jeff had a long day. I've had several several long days at work. At work. Yeah. Another, another one coming up tomorrow. <laughs> and his eyes are actually reddish. Yeah. And I saw him close his eyes while we were recording. <laughs> did I? You did. I don't oh, know. Just I don't know if you went sleep sitting up. You didn't oh, feel him kick you under the table? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I didn't. But the show must go on. Yes, it. Yes, and it is. Um, <laughs> what else? Really only has a punch. <sighs> <clears throat> I'm glad we've taken a break. Do you remember what we asked you to ask us during the break? No. <laughs> was I awake when oh, you we asked just me? Oh, we talking about would you play again. Oh, yes. Yeah. I had not responded to would you play again. Yeah, would you play again. Yes. Surprisingly, right, Jeff? Because aren't I always saying, oh, I can't do campaign yeah. games. I can't do those. They're right. too big. And Whose idea was it to do this one? Mine. It was okay. Dave. <laughs> and, and it kind of stunned me the, when you asked me about that. It stunned me, too. The two Dave's. Yeah, I got Dave T on board earlier. Because well, he wasn't going to go for it. About, oh, we always want to do a campaign game. Well, but we didn't always want. To. We, I just no. I always wanted to play that scenario. It oh, was okay. it was one I had never. You know, I kept a list of scenarios I've never played, and there was like three uh, for like ten years of my ASL life, and there it sat, the last bid. So suddenly I'm like, what the heck? I'm just. Gonna, there's so many scenarios now. I can't keep up with playing them all. Right. I think that was one thing. So I abandoned playing a different one every week to keep up, try and try and keep up. And then we asked Jeff to join us, and you knew you couldn't commit to that. Yeah. And Bob Holmstrom had played, oh, just finished Valor of the Guards campaign game. He was not up for it. So Timnan committed. I'm like, we're just, just going to find some people and do this. And we won't tell him how long it is and how complicated it is. And, well, I might have actually we just told talk. It was a, Tom, it was a walk in the probably park. four to eight, I would think I would have said. Yes. I was thinking three to five turns a night, like a normal game. Right. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. So five, ten, fifteen, twenty yeah. at the best, I, four or five nights. I don't think we played a turn in under. I think it typically took an hour to an hour and a half. 
per per side. Per side. side. Yes, okay. an so hour per side at least. So right. two to three hours to get through If a we turn. met on a Saturday yeah. earlier, at four, I started pushing it up on my wife. Oh, we're going to meet at like four, test the waters on that one, you know. Oh, not seven? Well, we thought we'd eat dinner there and, you know, we would stop for dinner. We And we enjoyed it to the point we never... We never really rushed it. I came in thinking, we're going to rush it. We're going to get three turns in. Well, we'd stop and eat for four, 40 minutes, right? I mean, sometimes, and not worry about it. Um, so, yeah, we just found the four players to get that started, and, and that was why. And I would do it again, uh, maybe even this summer, but, you know, maybe not. I can't yeah. do it's hey, a I, huge time. I'd do it again. I'd like to get a little more experience, especially with some of the yes. scenarios in Red Barricades before I play it again. Or play, well, the the next one would be Valor of the Guards, or the play first that. bid. Mm-hmm. Or Dave and I actually did the largest Tarawa one, and that was smaller than these. I don't, I don't remember the turns on it. But, yeah, the, I think the first bid would be the counter to this and using a lot of the same rules. And so now is the time to go into and play Valor of the Guards single scenarios because yeah. you're more familiar with rubble and sellers and yeah. right, right. It would make sense to do that also. And would you do it? You th- thought yes, Mark? Yeah, I'd play it again. I'd, I'd like to play something else in between. Mm, but it, mm-hmm. I find out I do have the key eligibility requirement, which is I am an empty nester and I have a basement that I can dedicate to this yes. for several months. Yeah, true. Which I could not do actually. Yeah. Right. I could not do it either because we have pets. So anybody that's an empty nester, you got to play red barricades <laughs> in yeah. the last bit or campaign game of any sort. Now you played four player, obviously. Yes. How did that? How do you think that went? And is it possible? I mean, can you imagine playing just two, two people? It's yeah. an awful lot of units to control. Yes, it is. I mean, it was hard pressed just with the number we had. I felt like it worked out pretty well. Um, I actually kind of liked it the way we went experience on experience and rookie on rookie between Tom right. and I. We did have a lot of questions about the rules, but um, I tried very hard not to bug Dave and Dave about that. I'd rather look it up or just have Tom and I make a call about how are we going to play this. I, I had no compulsions about Dave. Dave, how does this <laughs> yeah. work? Yeah, I, I, I wish they did do it a little more. Probably I should have made it more clear that I expected that. Um, and then I didn't know everything either, so I would often go to the, the rule book. But it, it got me reading the rules more than it, it would normally, just yeah. playing one-off games. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I didn't like about it, Because you knew you were coming back to it. Right. So. I think the only thing I didn't like about it is I, I, felt, I felt really bad about consulting with Dave. It, not so much on rules, but on trying to strategize, because the two Daves were so engaged in a bitter battle over there, I hated yeah. to interrupt and say, you know, should we do this, should we do that? And, and I think Tom maybe felt the same way. Yeah. So the two of us were just kind of trying to make up our own game plan as to what's right to do to support the people on our, yeah. on our other side. Yeah. Plus, you don't know if, if Dave is going to give you good advice because you're interrupting <laughs> him. He's like, should I go? Yeah, just run across there. Yeah, well, run across i got to tell you that that third night yeah, when Dave gave I you the coaching, that I had to be a little patient here and wait for the tanks to come out. I started wondering, well, is, is he trying to psych me out here? Yeah. <laughs> well, then you <laughs> learned. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't trying to psych you out. Yeah. Yeah, I... My main thing would be the time commitment. It's like um, I only have so much time I can devote to gaming, and I gave up several months of playing miniature games to do this. So the guy that I normally play miniature yeah, Rick, games yeah. with, Rick, I'd be on the phone, and he was saying, "How? How? what were you doing that take an hour and a half for a turn? And it'd be like, well, well, Rick, there's a lot of units, and you're making lots of die rolls, and I, it's hard to explain, but it, it, it really is, ate up a lot of time. It's hard. To, it's hard for people to believe it. 
Yeah, it, it takes that long. He and to this date he can't believe we spent forty odd man hours playing this yeah. game. But yeah. you know, it may seem perverse, but, it, but I enjoyed it doing it. it. It may sound perverse, but me too. And it ended up feeling like lots of little games. Again, that whole battle for that factory was one. Of course, now if you play the separate scenarios, I, I don't remember for sure, but I'll bet there probably is a one of them for the is factory. Use this yeah. part of the board. Right. The Germans are trying to take this factory. In fact, you know, the other one, the bread factory, they're trying to take the house, I think, was the house Tom had. <laughs> I think. I don't know. It looks familiar to me, you know. But that I, was I don't know. eight years ago or when it first came out. I played all those scenarios, you know, right through. Um, the team thing, Bob Holmes from I remember saying, you know, when a guy's gone, you got a problem. But we just didn't play when a guy was gone. And at first, my first reaction was like, oh, no, this can't be happening. I'm going to make this happen. So I'd like put on email, hey, what about Thursday, everybody? What about, how, let's play at lunchtime on a weekday. We'll all leave work. You know, and they're all like, no, we'll, no, we'll just wait. Not one of them was really jumping on board. Dave's right, you know, let's try and push this to Thursday night. So we all just felt this is a weekend activity. Um, Mark had no problem with it in the basement, and except for the near flood. And... Um, there you go. We just took a four-week break in the middle. So the time we played in terms of months isn't really accurate. Right, I know. Uh, in terms of hours, it's 41 hours no matter how you dice it, whether you did it in two yeah. long days. you know. Or... Although when you factor in the number of units, I'm not sure it's that much different from a typical scenario in terms of length of time to play for the number of units that you're having to move around. No, no, cor- correct. I think it would be about the same. Yeah. yeah. I will tell you the one unexpected result on my part of this whole thing is I can remember Dave years ago trying to tell me, you know, try ASL, you'd enjoy it. And then, you know, I I kept saying, well, I don't want to do this because I don't like the Eastern Front. I don't like city battles. And now here I'm borrowing Streets of Fire from him to see what it's like and to see if oh, could I modify this and make four-inch hexes and use 10-millimeter figures on it to play it? You know, there is a lot more to doing city fighting than just bang, bang, shoot them up. There is a lot of thinking you got to do as to how to approach it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, yeah, flanking maneuvers and, cut, you know, cutting off route paths. And, yeah, it is. it is all in there, really. Um, now, Streets of Fire has less maneuverability. Right. So that. But how much maneuverability was there really in this game? M- more, but yeah, I was actually worried Dave would come around the big flank there through all those wooden buildings and come up the back, but the reinforcements would have been coming oh, through that's there. That's true. Just like I had visions of all the Panzers rolling down and then rolling along the river and coming up behind yeah, us. Yeah, down on that green land. Right. Yeah, but, you, you did. Know, and I tried telling you the setup. Well, I wouldn't. Why do we want a gun back there in a pillbox? You know, well, it turned out to be good to have guns back there because that was yeah. our kill line or our, our uh, stand right. or die line. Right. If they just hit our stand and die line in turn fifteen, which also tells you something, right, Tom? Right. At that point, we had all the trenches, the anti tank ditches, the pillboxes were starting to come into some of them into play. We moved a few units up. And it was like, okay, this is we, we didn't mind letting them take those billions they already got. And that was another confidence booster for us. Right. That, yeah. okay, they took what we were willing to give them. Even though I started to fight for that factory, I was going to abandon it earlier. And Tom's like, no, I'll fight for it. I'm like, I shouldn't listen to Tom. What does he know? And then, <laughs> right. and then I'm like, okay, I'll fight for it. And it became more fun than if I had just kind of abandoned it and pulled back across. 
So, yeah. so four players, if you're willing to wait, I don't know if one guy could play the whole side. It would really slow it down for the against one against two. Yeah, you can get a substitute player in if you trusted him a lot. It's right. just would you want someone coming in to substitute for you? Not really, no. because they're not familiar with what the game plan is and what you're trying to do. Yeah, it I, it was just playing a lot of. Uh, units to move. Even if you're trying to play fast and just make one move after the other without thinking a lot about it, it just the sheer number would take you a long time. Yeah, yeah I, I found myself wondering if you had six players, could you pull it off? But I think things would get really tight on that board with six players. I kept having a problem being fumble-fingered that the stacks the were stacks. getting too tall. Yeah. And then you have the different sized counters. And I noticed Mark was basically saying to heck with stacks and he would just put hers his in like a triangle formation centered on the hex and and that actually worked out pretty well because they're larger hexes right they are slightly historical boards oh right Right. okay yeah but i'll tell you trying you have somebody in a cellar you have a cellar counter on it then you have a, a squad with a squad weapon and you have a gun with a crew and then you have a second level counter and a yeah. squad and a squad level on it is the, like the tower of babel yeah <laughs> yeah especially if you have shaky fingers right yes that's right because i even when i got the force of tweezers boom the things would go flying over the board or i go to pick up a stack of counters and it only get the for top two, you know. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. I think we always found the piece that we like. Right. He where, found where, where one, did he found one on the floor. Oh. So. <laughs> and then last night, Tom, I'm missing a squad. We've got 100 out here. Yeah. I'm missing you know. a squad. Yeah. <laughs> you, just, I just remembered I had the squad. You know, I couldn't find it. So he finds it on the floor. Picking yeah. Up. And you learn to memorize them by region. You know, I know I had two in that house, yes. one over here, and I was going to take this one and dash across the street. And where did that one go? You know. Now, I do have a question to Mark, because at the very beginning, you know, we did our setup, our strategizing. Then the German comes, the, the, Dave and Mark came in, and they looked at our setup, what they could see. And they did their setup. And later on, I remember one of them making a comment to me. They decided not to make a big thrust on my side because I had all these trenches and obviously defense lines. And I've always wondered, were you just trying to psych us out or did that well, really play a role? It, that was very much it. The, the game plan from the beginning was for Dave to be the one doing the thrust down at the east end of the board and uh, come down and, and have success against Dave, which he did, and then turn in and start to push towards the, the center of your holdings, which is pretty much how the game evolved. Although when Dave started yes, bogging down, I decided to do a push on my west end to, do, to pick up a couple of buildings at least to support Dave. Yeah. Now, I've been, I've been asking myself, how do the Germans win this? Okay, because obviously, according to rule, they, they win it more often than not. And I began wondering, what if the Germans bypassed the stupid factories and made a thrust down through the middle to start and then isolated the factories? And when their, when their big tanks came on and then when their assault engineers came on, then, then tackle the factories. That's ah, an idea. We that's didn't feel a good com- idea. Yeah. We didn't feel comfortable with that, and we actually discussed that. And our concern was that we were, we were leaving too strong a Russian fortified stronghold behind our lines at that point. And it's true. true you would have to leave units to envelop them. Yes, because they could burst out to the north and right. start taking. I really had my eye on all the stone buildings uh, in the upper left-hand corner from the Russian 
point of view, the Russian left flank. Yeah, yeah by the guy that ran all the way down the side but of the board. I think ultimately that's the problem the German faces is he just doesn't have enough units at times. Well, so. it, it, and I think that's the way the battle historically played out is you try to push forward building by building, pushing the Russians back along the way not letting them get behind you. And so the only thing I could see is that the the Germans have to use their their combined armor and infantry in ways that maximize their firepower and their strong abilities. And then you guys just had terrible luck with your demo charges and your flamethrowers. I mean, well, and they would make a huge difference. It, early on, that's probably true. I think uh, the Russian side had a tremendous, and I don't want to say luck, but was tremendously effective with their OBA, which really put a pounding on us and, and changed our game plan a little bit. Dave T was very effective with those tanks early on. Uh, but again, that started to change towards the end of the game. Yeah, well, he lost one to a lucky hit, and... You know, I never felt the, the 150 is certainly worth running. I could not get rid of one of those the whole game. It just kept going from building to building and eliminating squad after squad. In fact, I would have liked to keep a tally on just that one tank and see how many squads it actually took out. I think I, it's safe to say four or five by itself. I was more worried about those 150s than I was anything else. In fact, when I saw that Mark was swinging around and bringing him in on the far right, I thought about just abandoning that one building and falling back without giving him any resistance. And then I thought, what fun is that? I mean, yeah. why give it to him on a plate? Maybe I'll take some people with me. Well, I don't think I took many people with me after those tanks showed up. But it took several turns of pounding before you nailed them. Yeah, I think it still took three or four turns. Yeah. Before but, I was able but to... once you got those guys, and you did move up more infantry and support, so once I broke, you had the infantry to take advantage of right. And And ironically, two of the guys broke because of infantry fire yeah. that's into kind of, the cellar. That's kind of a funny thing about that game. With the 21 turns, you didn't mind taking four turns to get something done. Right. Yes, and, right. and your artillery pieces could move up from where they started, which you didn't see a whole lot of. You could bog minor tanks and then free them. Um, a lot of things you normally didn't see in a, in a shorter scenario, especially like anti-tank guns moving forward, taking three turns to get there, four turns to get there to the next front line. Yeah, because I want to get there. moving three of them. Yeah, and then there they are again. I'm like, yep. darn, those things. I thought I left those behind when I got knocked yeah, out. There were the times towards the, the mid and late <laughs> game, I'd look at the initial placements and say, what was I thinking, putting a gun there? Because you know, it was start completely pushing ineffective. It, and that's what I out. did. I, I pulled them out and started pushing. And I know that initially I wasn't doing the pushing correctly, but we got that figured out. And then... Heck, those forty-fives are almost light enough to carry. You know, they're really easy to push. And then you had that that mortar; you couldn't move for the life of you. Yeah, I can't remember what happened there, Tom, but I remember I was having a lot of trouble moving it, and then I couldn't get a spotter in position that had a line of sight. Oh, to anything was it an worthwhile. eighty-one millimeter mortar? It was. Right? Oh, we, oh, you can dismantle them. Well, I did dismantle it twice. Oh, and moved it, and then dismantled it, it and then had no me, targets. I was then... watching that thing, so yeah. any time I could shoot at it, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah I finally I, nailed it. Yeah, I did a bad job of, uh, of of not setting up in a good location, not having a spotter 
that had a, a line of sight anywhere. Uh, whereas Tom, on the other hand, did a really good job with line of sight and realizing he could stay back quite a ways with a spotter in an upper-level building where he had line of sight to my front lines. Yes, and you again, know. you learn that through experience. Right. Yeah, right. I had it set up at this building towards the bottom of the Russian position with the mortar behind the building. Yes, using the And spot the spotter fire. up on the second floor. Yeah, which is plus two, adjacent. but, you know. So you yeah, yeah that's my problem with spotter. I always think that's a great idea, but the plus two... And but if you shoot yep. at the same hex three or four times in a row, and with yeah, a larger game, yeah, you got time. You got the time. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, and if true. you use smoke, which is primarily, I, I think I use smoke out of mortar more than I did uh, area. Yeah, and that yeah, was smart because okay. Mark already said it was frustrating yeah. for him. Yeah. So. Well, I think uh, we pretty well covered it, and that's probably enough time for one show. All righty. All right. Thanks a lot, Dave. I enjoyed the experience. Oh, thanks for yeah. Thanks, thanks for Dave. playing the game with us. <laughs> yeah. So now I have to talk you into playing the campaign version of First Wave at Omaha and finding American players masochistic enough to be American players. Is that a Avalon Hill game? No, it's Critical Hit. Oh. oh. First Wave at Omaha Beach. Okay. Might landing craft and everything? Yes, landing craft. It's basically, re- it's it's the landing of the, I forget the regiment number, on Omaha Beach, first wave. Okay. The one that was decimated. Yeah. yeah. And believe me, from what I can tell, the Americans get shot up quite a bit. Yeah. And you can also do the, um, the landings on Point du Hoc and the other ranger landings in the area. Yeah. Oh, that that might be interesting. That sounds like fun. So you can do Private Ryan in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was allegedly Company C of the 2nd Ranger Battalion. Or E. Was it Easy Company? No, it was Charlie Company. Oh, Private Ryan, right. I'm thinking of uh, Winters. Yeah, actually, easy um, company. Oh, a gal I work with, her dad was in Charlie Company at Omaha Beach. Really? Wow. Now, Jonathan Winters? No. No, Colonel Winters. Colonel Major uh, Winters. Her, yeah. yeah. Captain yeah. Winters. I recently read a book about the uh, 2nd Ranger Battalion, and huh, those guys were just something else. I mean, the elite troops on each side, you can you can understand how they would pull stuff off that normal soldiers couldn't. They paid a price for it and they lost a lot of people, but you know, they would take stuff and keep on fighting that most people would not. Yeah. Well, hold that thought. We'll talk about that off the air and we want to thank everybody for listening and yep, as usual, join listening. us next time for another exciting episode of the Two Half Squads. In the meantime, roll low. And rally well, but not not when when you're playing us. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. You read books, too. Yeah, I do. Wow. That's amazing. Oh. (laughs) And and over Christmas, I read a book about the Christmas attack at Bastogne. It's just incredible because the, the airborne division, Day.